Happy Easter. Uh, Easter Sunday is my favorite day of the year. Despite, I know I told you all at Christmas how much I loved Christmas, so you must feel like I just say this to you every time I stand up here, but I really do love Easter. Easter Sunday is my favorite service, and so it is an honor to be asked to lead or to, to speak at the evening Easter service here at Airdrie. It's also now been a year since I joined you guys, so I've done a full 365 days with you all. I've done every celebration. Easter was my last one to tick off, so what better way to do that than to make you all listen to me for a few minutes. Um, I will also say that for those of you that were here this morning, this might be a little bit of a repeat because as I sat and listened to more and more of what Ross had to say this morning, I felt more and more that I was going to say the exact same thing this evening. Uh, so we've tweaked it a little bit, but I apologize for those of you that were listening very intently this morning. Um, we are going to look at three very special people uh, within the resurrection story. Um, None of which are Jesus. Obviously, he was the most important person within the resurrection story. Uh, but we're going to have a look at three different perspectives that were put on this. The first of which was Mary Magdalene. So there was no denying um, that the people, the person that was chosen to be the first ever proclaimer of the good news was Mary Magdalene. There was no one there else but her there when they found the empty tomb. That this woman, this woman who had overcame demons, who had overcame everything, to follow Jesus and to follow her Lord was the one that was chosen to, to preach that good news. So John's Gospel tells us in chapter 20 from verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was him. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out, rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to be. Now Mary adored Jesus. He'd cleansed her of demons during his time on earth, and she'd followed him ever since. There's so many Marys in the Bible within Jesus' ministry that it can get a little confusing as to who they all are. I had to do my research to make sure I wasn't giving this woman credit where credit was not due. Um, but she did, the one thing we can be sure of is that she followed Jesus um, in everything that he did from very early on. So during this very first encounter of the risen Jesus, Mary is convinced that someone has moved his body. Um, as for her first instinct is not that he has risen from the dead. This was none of their first instincts. She thinks that he's the gardener. Her eyes have been covered by some spiritual blindness um, and she thinks that he might have moved the body and that seems to make sense. These people had hung Jesus on a cross. They had claimed that what he had said was a lie and they'd killed him for it. They'd put him in a tomb and when she had gone to prepare his body to go to heaven, it wasn't there anymore. It's perfectly logical because these people didn't like Jesus that they would move the body. But it's not until Jesus calls on her that she realizes that it's him. 
This is something that we still see today. So many people, you can see them, you can see it in your friends and your family, the way that Jesus works in their lives. And it's not until Jesus turns around and calls on them that we recognize that it's him. And that happened with Mary too. So once Mary had realized that it was our Lord that stood in front of her, I mean, I, so whilst I was writing this out, I was just thinking about how that must have felt to have had three days of such anguish for her to have knelt at the cross and to have seen him die, to have watched him die, that man that she had followed for years, that she'd loved for years, and now he stands in front of her and he's got some scars to show for it, but he's back and he's dressed in white and he's gleaming. It must have been incredible. Mary is sent to tell the disciples that Jesus has returned. In short, Mary is chosen to be the first. She's chosen to be the bringer of good news, and she is the one who started it all and declared the resurrection. It was pointed out to me that um, there's very few things outside of what Jesus says that are in all four Gospels, but the thing that's in all four Gospels in terms of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all agree that it was Mary Magdalene that was the first one to preach the good news. And as a woman in ministry, as a woman who teaches your young people, that's a real encouragement to know that Jesus chose a woman who was deemed uneducated, a woman who was deemed to be demon-possessed. She was the one who went and told everyone. She's the one that started all of this. She's the one that gives us the inspiration to do what we still do today. So the disciples didn't believe Mary until Jesus appeared to them too, which seems to be a recurring factor here, that no one believes that Jesus is back. They were locked in a room and they were terrified of what had just happened. They had seen the man that they had followed betrayed. They had seen him killed. They'd been, he'd been betrayed by one of them and that must have hurt. They'd, been sent, they'd watched their teacher arrested and he'd been sentenced to death after discovering that it was Judas that had betrayed them. And now they have this uneducated, ex-possessed woman telling them that he's returned. And that seems a little bit unlikely given everything that's happened. But Jesus was indeed back, as we all know. And he appears to them, giving them the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathes on them and he leaves once more. And they join Mary in telling people that he is back. And we then go on and hear about Thomas. So Thomas, who was also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to them, my Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me and you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. So just for this, I say just for this, just for not believing that Jesus was back, Thomas is remembered as a doubter. We have that phrase of doubting Thomas. I've been called a doubting Thomas. Um, because he didn't believe this. Not, no one did, but Thomas is the one that's remembered to be the doubter, despite the fact that We've just heard for the last 15 verses that everyone else had doubted too. Thomas was a pessimist at best. But then if you told me that my friend had overcame death and was back from the grave, I probably wouldn't believe you either. So we can't really blame Thomas. So instead of believing his friends, it took Thomas actually physically sticking his hands 
into Jesus' side for him to believe that it was Jesus. And I'm not a particularly squeamish person, but the thought of having to stick my hand into someone's side does make me feel a little bit, it gives me the heebie-jeebies anyway. Um, so only once he had felt where the nails had pierced Jesus' skin did he believe that his Lord stood in front of him. He said, my Lord and my God, feeling how Mary must have felt knowing that Jesus had overcame death just as he had spent so long promising. My favorite story though, throughout the whole resurrection narrative is that of Peter. And I'm sure that most of you know this story. We heard some of it this morning. Um, and I'm sure that you heard it in Sunday school. You heard it in YF. You've heard it in church. You hear it every single year, but it deserves to be told again and again. Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times. And so Jesus comes to him again. Jesus gathers his disciples around a fire and cooks them dinner. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus doesn't just ask Peter three times, do you love me, to annoy him or to embarrass him in front of the other disciples. He does it because Peter denied him three times. He reinstates him around a charcoal fire, which is where he had first denied him. There's only twice that the Aramaic and Greek words for charcoal fire are used within the story, and it's when Peter denies Jesus, and it's when Jesus reinstates him. So Jesus recreates this scene for Peter to, despite, to remind him that despite the fact that he had denied him in his absolute moment of need, the moment where he had needed people to believe in him the most, he still loved him. Jesus was back and he died for all our sins even Peter's. He calls Peter to lead his church, to convert the Jews and to show them Christ's love, which is a pretty tall order for someone who had previously been denying the fact that he'd even known him. But those who are forgiven much, love much. And the great news is that we are totally forgiven by Jesus. And so we should totally love Jesus. Jesus chose those who would proclaim the good news. He did not choose the rabbis or the Sadducees. He didn't choose the Pharisees. He didn't choose the ones that had believed in him the whole time. He chose those who had doubted, those who had failed, and those who were seen as lesser in society, because that's who Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save everyone who needed his saving and displayed this through who he chose to share his resurrection with. He came for the doubters, for the deniers, and for those who would never be found in church, for those not even allowed in a synagogue at the time. And Jesus came for every sinner and therefore for every single person. Before leaving earth the first time when he was hung on the cross, Jesus had chosen his disciples and Mary to be the ones who would tell the good news. And I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty good job description. Although again, as I was writing this, I realized that's my job description is to share the good news. So I might be a little bit biased in terms of what that is. But there's even better news now than that job description because it's been extended. Because before he left earth after his resurrection, he commanded all of us to do this job. 
tells us at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. For surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is my favorite piece of scripture. Uh, and so many things about it fascinate me. So I've already, I apologize if you've heard me speak about this before. Those of you from Livingston have definitely heard me speak about this before. Um, but it's one of the most important parts. Um, firstly, one of the things that fascinates me is that some of the disciples are still doubting. Jesus has been back for 40 days and has done all kinds of miracles. It's very clearly him. But people still don't believe that he's back. The people still don't believe that he's been risen from the dead. And that just blows my mind. But secondly, and most importantly, Jesus tells us all to go and make disciples. We must, therefore, tell everyone the good news. Jesus chose the uneducated, the sick, the doubting, and the denying to be the first people to tell of his return. And now he chooses all of us, even those who are deemed uneducated and those who feel too weak, those who doubt at times or have even denied in the past. We are all called to tell people about his second coming, that he came once to die for us and that he's coming again to save us. And I have been all of those things. I have been told I don't know enough about the Bible and so I should not teach people. I have, been, I have felt too weak to share it with friends. I have doubted God's power and I have denied that I am a Christian at times. But I get to stand here tonight in the strength of God and the strength of God alone and tell you that he has risen. So I encourage you all as you go about your weeks, as you go about your bank holiday Mondays, to remember just why we have that bank holiday Monday. It's not just an excuse to eat our body weights in chocolate, although some of us are now allergic to chocolate and so we don't get to do that, but that's okay. It's just even more of a reminder that it's not just about the chocolate. Uh, or to stay in bed or just to not go to work. It is a celebration of the defeat of death. So Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. And hallelujah for that. Uh, yeah, that's us. Thank you.